0: Job, chapter 38. Job, chapter 38. And I want to finish the book of Job today. Job, chapter 38. Now, we have been going through the book of Job just only for about two months now, right? And uh, we have, uh, have just hit the highlights of the book of Job. We have not spent um, our normal amount of time that we would uh, in this book that we normally would do. Uh, but again, I just wanted us to go through the book of Job as a follow-up to the book of James. So a lot of the themes that we discussed in the book of James, um, namely uh, trials and suffering, perseverance, endurance, uh, all of these things we find in the book of Job. Um, As a matter of fact, James uses Job as sort of a test case in chapter five of the book of James. (coughs) So I wanted to uh, look at Job's life to see how these principles worked out. Um, So we didn't spend as much time going through each chapter as we we normally do. Um, But we saw in chapters 1 and 2 the introduction to Job's life and how he found himself in the circumstances that he's in, right? Um, We heard that Job was a a blameless man. He was upright. um, He feared the Lord. And he shunned evil. And we saw that three times in the first uh, three chapters. Yet, even though Job had this intimate, close, close relationship with the Lord, Job was tested not because of his own sin and failures, but because of a battle, so to speak, going on between God and Satan. And uh, we saw this uh, twice where Satan goes um, to heaven. And God permits Satan to test Job. And this test, if we go back to the book of James, is something that allows, um, God allows in order to perfect us, to mature us. Um, jo- Job's job was to demonstrate that what God said about him was true. Or to use the word that we discussed in the book of James, justification. Justification. Job's life was supposed to justify God. Then in chapters three and following, we saw that Job and his three friends were debating the cause of Job's suffering. Job felt that he was innocent and yet he was suffering for no reason. His friends, adhering to what we have called the retribution principle, they felt that Job was sinning because I mean, Job was suffering because of his sin. And so we discussed how uh, the the wisdom of their day uh, felt that God was a tit for tat God, that if someone sins, God will punish them, and if God if the person is doing what is righteous, God will always bless them, and God never violates that principle. Therefore. Since Job was suffering, he had to have done something wrong. And so they spent all of these intervening chapters uh, arguing about whether or not Job has sinned or not sinned. Now we're skipping to uh, the end here. Um, In chapter 38, last week we looked at the final section where Elihu Uh, spoke to uh, Job and his friends to correct them about their misunderstandings of God, and yet I believe that he misunderstood God as well. And here, God will speak for himself. God shows up to address Job uh, over Job's complaints. Job says that he wants to meet with God. He wants to take God to court, and he wants to have God answer him. And here in chapter 38, verse 1 and 2, we hear what God says to Job. He says, Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Now Job felt that he was going to go to court and asked God some questions, and God was going to answer him, and he followed up with, and if he kills me, I'm still going to trust in him. Elihu says that God will not come and speak to Job because Job is prideful. Very next chapter, a whirlwind. Can you imagine a, you standing outside and a tornado pulls up to you and start talking to you? <laughs> and says, I, I've been hearing you running your mouth. Prepare yourself like a man. I'm gonna question you, and you're gonna answer me. Now we know when we get to the end of the book in chapter, <laughs> chapter 42, that Job is by himself. Where's Elihu? Where's his three friends? <laughs> they rolled out. They, they spent all of this time talking to Job about God. Elihu even says that he'll be the mediator. He'll stand in between Job and God. And, and when God shows up, they, got, they bounced. Okay. They, ro- they rolled out. Now, a couple things I want us to see here. Because as I said last week, oftentimes when we are suffering and going through trials, We go to the scriptures to find out uh, how we can get our questions answered. Namely, why am I suffering? And if you come to the book of Job to get answers to the question of why you are suffering, you will look in vain to find an answer for that. God does not answer Job's questions of why he allowed him to suffer, as I said. That is above Job's pay grade. It's above our pay grade. God does not owe us any answers when he allows us to suffer or go through trials. What we find here in these last four chapters is what I believe the whole book has been leading to. And instead of asking God why we are suffering, what we need to learn how to do is trust God because he is an all wise God. And I, I think that that is what we get out of all of the questions that God asks Job. I'm not going to go through all of the questions that God asks Job because he talks to Job from chapters 38, 39 and 40. OK, <laughs> I'm questioning Job over and over and over again. So, and 41, actually. I just want to highlight certain sections within uh, these chapters so that you can see that what God is driving at is he was wise enough to create and sustain this world. He is wise enough to feed everything and sustain their lives. So we should trust that when we are suffering, God knows what he is doing. God was wise enough to create and sustain this whole world. He is wise enough to feed and sustain the lives of every single creature. So we should trust that he is wise enough to know what he is doing, even when we're suffering. Now listen to what he say, says to Job, verse one, uh, I'm sorry, verse uh, four. He says, "Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know, or who stretched the line upon it? To what were its foundations fastened? Or how, or who laid its cornerstone?" When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Now, God starts off by asking Job a question of his understanding of creation. Right? We know that when God said, let there be light, time and space all came into existence at the same time. God is questioning Job to ask him, Does he understand how God created the world? And specifically, he asks him, Does he understand how gravity works? Do you understand what the earth sits on? How it just hangs in space? Do you understand that, Job? Do you have the wisdom to do that yourself? Number two, verses. 8 through 11, he says, or who, shut, um, or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst forth and issued from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and thick darkness its swallowing band. When I fixed my limit for it and set bars and doors. When I said, This far you may come, but no farther. And here your proud waves must stop. He's questioning Job on his understanding of the tide. Job, do you understand how the moon affects the tide and when it comes in and when it goes out and how it keeps it from flooding the world? Do you understand this, Job? Chapter 38, verse 34. Verse 34 to 41. Can you lift up your voice to the clouds that an abundance of water may cover you? Can you send out lightnings that they may go and say to you, here we are? Who has put wisdom in the mind or who has given understanding to the heart? Who can number the clouds by wisdom or who can pour out the bottles of heaven? When the dust hardens into clumps and the clods cling together, can you hunt the prey for the lion or satisfy the appetite of the young lions? When they crouch in their dens or lurk in their lairs to lie in wait, who provides food for the ravens, and when its young ones cry to God and wander about for lack of food. He's asking Job, can you sustain every single creature? Can you provide food for everyone on earth? Now, one thing I've noticed here, um, how do lions get their food? They hunt. So that means that something has to suffer and die in order for lions to be sustained, right? And in God's wisdom, he provides everything to sustain someone's life, even though that may mean someone else has to suffer, right? At this point of God's questioning, Job is speechless. (laughs) Job questions, I mean, God questions Job for two chapters, chapter 38 and chapter 39. When we get to chapter 40, Job has nothing to say. He says, then Job answered the Lord and said, behold, I am vile. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand over my mouth once I have spoken, but I will not answer. Yes, twice but I will proceed no farther. Job is done. Job said he wanted to question God. He wanted to take God to court so that God could answer him on why he was suffering. He gets his day in court. God is asking him questions and he's like, I'm done. He taps out. Uh, But just like uh, anyone who grew up in Baltimore City schools, right, it, it, it doesn't end that way. Right? Sometimes somebody roll up on you. What you saying? Oh no, I was saying, No, no, I heard you was running your mouth. What did you say? (laughs) Okay. So God goes on for two more chapters. (laughs) He's like, nope, Job, you don't don't understand yet. I got some more questions. Okay. So, So he questions Job again for chapters 40 and 41. I want us to look at chapter 40. Look at verse 8. He says, Would you indeed annul my judgments? Would you condemn me that you may be justified? Now, that's a question I think that all of us uh, need to answer. If we had the chance, if we had the opportunity how many of us would overrule God's decisions? I'm I mean, look, y'all, y'all scared to raise your hand. I would, Lord, you don't you don't know like I know. <laughs> okay, I I would definitely overrule some of the decisions that God has made in my life, but in doing so, what we're saying is, God, you don't know what you're doing. Would would you overrule my judgments? so that you would be the one that's righteous? Each and every time we suffer and we question God, what we are really saying in essence is, God, you don't know what you're doing. I I, I don't believe that you're doing the right thing. Now, Is that normal? (laughs) I don't know. It's normal for sinners, right? But what God is trying to drive Job to and what he is trying to drive all of us to is faith. Trusting that his wisdom is sufficient for us if we know that God was able to create all the things that he created and even hangs the world on nothing, if we understand that God was able to create the oceans and he uses the moon to control how far the ocean can flow on land, if we understand that God is able to satisfy the hunger of every single creature all by his wisdom, then surely whatever he allows us to go through, he has a plan that, as we read this morning in Romans chapter 8, will eventually work for our good, even though we can't see it right now. I want you to skip down to chapter 40, verse 15. I'm I'm not going to read all of these verses, all right? So, Chapter forty, verse fifteen, all the way down to forty-one, thirty-four. Okay, um, now there's some interesting things in this in this chapter. Okay, verse fifteen uh, starts to talk about the behemoth, right? And when you get to chapter forty-one, he's talking about leviathan. And people question, what are these animals? Okay, now um, there's a range of, of viewpoints on this. Uh, some people uh, believe that uh, that these animals are the hippopotamus and the alligator, all the way up to some people saying, "Okay, these must be dinosaurs." Um, there are, <laughs> and then <laughs> there are also some people who believe that these are just mythical creatures. Okay, because it seems like it at some some point that he's describing a dragon. Breathing fire from his mouth and things like that. So, um, so some people see that these are just mythical creatures describing all of the chaos that is in the world. Okay, Now, um, you know me, I'm quick to say I don't know. I don't know what's going on in these two chapters. Um, I, I, I can see that, you know, yeah, these are, could be dinosaurs. But at the end of the day, I have no idea. What I think God is trying to say to Job, right, whether these are mythical creatures or really dinosaurs or however um, you see it. What God is really trying to ask Job is can you defeat and control all the forces of evil? Because God here is describing some kind of creature that no one can tame, but only God can defeat. He's asking Job, can you control all of the evil and chaos in the world? He starts this section off by saying, can you look at all the prideful and evil people and bring them down and take care of them? God is trying to let us know that whether we're talking about creation, whether we're talking about feeding um, and sustaining each and everyone's life, whether we're talking about dealing with evil and corrupt people, only God by his wisdom is able to control all of these different things that are going on in the world and bring them to their appointed end. Well, all we're thinking about is, I just want to be at peace. (laughs) I don't want to be in pain, I just want peace. But God by his wisdom is directing everything to the end that they have been created for. Bless you. When we get to, by the time we get to the end of God's four chapters of questions, (laughs) right, at this point, um, probably all of us would have passed out, right? Job is ready to repent. Repent. After the first two chapters of questioning, Job just said, you know what? I didn't know what I was talking about. I'm going to just be quiet. He was not ready to be where God needed him to be. Job didn't have a problem of, of just needing to be quiet. Job needed to repent. And so God brings him to this place of repentance when we get to chapter 42. Look at verse 1. Then Job answered um, the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You asked, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand. Bless you. I spoke, but I did not understand. See, that is our problem. When we're suffering, when we're going through trials, when we're going through things, we think we have the answer. But the answer is simply, I just want it to stop. But God has a plan that we cannot comprehend. And while we're just trying to work to get it to stop, God is trying to get it to develop us and grow us and mature us. And he will not stop or let it stop until we reach that point. Now, how many times have you been in a situation and you have said, why do I keep going through the same thing over and over and over again? (laughs) The answer is because you keep failing the test. We, we, We keep speaking on things that we don't understand. God is trying to bring us to the place where we do not understand his plan, understand his wisdom, but that we can trust his wisdom. Job goes on to say, Therefore I uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Listen, please, and let me speak. You said I will question you and you shall answer me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Job is now recognizing that his way is not the best way. That God's way, even though we can't understand it, even though we can't comprehend it, God's way is right. Now, this is the part that we all like. Okay. Um, we, we don't like the pain and suffering that's described in Job. Uh, we don't like when God questions Job and Job has to answer. But we love the part when Job gets restored. Okay. And uh, we run around, oh, yeah, I'm praying to God, give me double for my trouble. OK, because so Job got back twice everything he lost. OK, um. but listen to what the ta- the passage says okay now this is for all of us because oftentimes when we are suffering right or we're going through something it's usually some form of interpersonal conflict most of the time sometimes it's sickness or illness but um, but a lot of our our pain and suffering is 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 caused by someone else right and, and what we want is for God to solve the problem, fix the problem, get the person out of my life, you know, smack the person around a little bit, God. Do something to fix this person. Okay. But listen to what the passage says before God restores Job. I want you to look verse seven. It says, and so it was after the Lord has spoken these words to Job that the Lord said to Eliphaz, the Temanite, my wrath is roused against you and your two friends, for you have not spoken of me. What is right as my servant Job has now, therefore Take for yourselves seven bulls and seven rams. Go to my servant Job and offer up for yourselves a burnt offering. And my servant Job shall pray for you. For I will accept him lest I deal with you according to your folly, because you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. Now first notice that they're not with Job. They were talking to Job until God showed up, they disappeared, okay? God says, I need you to go get an offering, bring it to my servant Job, offer the sacrifice, and Job is going to pray for you. And because Job prays for you, I will accept you. Now, Their acceptance and forgiveness from God depends on what? On Job's prayer. Kind of like Jesus saying, love your enemies. Pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you. And we talk about this verse a lot, and every time we go over this passage, we're like, People roll their eyes, like mm, whatever, right? You all don't see. I see. I see it, right? Uh, you 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 kind of blow me off every time I talk about how we're supposed to treat our enemies and love them and take care of them. And we we've, uh, we've gone through all those scenarios. If you if your na- if your enemy is suffering, would you be the one to buy their groceries? Would you pay their gas and electric bill? Well, what? Well, God knows my heart. I'm only human. <laughs> So their acceptance and forgiveness depends on Job not holding a grudge, right? Job has to not hold a grudge against them. He has to forgive them. He can't hold what they have said and done against him. Now, think about this. They talked about his children. Yeah, your children wouldn't have died of it. like. Right? They they, they, they literally put Job through a whole lot, but if he holds on to a grudge and he does not forgive and accept them and pray for them, they stand to be judged by God. Now, how many people are motivated to say, okay, well, let, let me pray for him then. Or do you feel it's right for you to hold a grudge? you don't know what they said to me, what they did to me. (laughs) What we don't also see is not only is Job's friends acceptance before God conditioned on Job's prayer, but Job's restoration depends on how he treats his friends. Listen to what it goes on to say, verse 9. So Eliphaz the Temanite and Bildad the Shuhite and Zophar the Naamathite went and did as the Lord commanded them. For the Lord had accepted Job, verse 10. And the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. The Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. We rush on to the last part of the chapter where God gave him twice, he, two, two times. Anything Job lost, he got twice as much back. Oh, yeah, Lord, bless me with that. Have you forgiven your friends or are you holding judges against, I mean, grudges against your enemy? Well, God, you know my heart. Don't ask me. To restore you, or give you anything, if you want to hold grudges against your enemies, let me just let that sink in for. A s- <laughs> let that sink in for a second. Just let that sink in for a second. <laughs> How often are we suffering? Are we going through trials? Are we praying and fasting and asking God to do something for us? And it just seems like God is not answering us. Maybe what is holding up your restoration and your blessing is that God is trying to work out the unforgiveness in your heart against your enemies. Maybe what's holding up God restoring you is that you are not prepared to pray for and bless the very person that hurt you. Because it says that God restored Job when he prayed. And I would add, when you pray with a sincere heart, like, Lord bless him. Hmm. <laughs> I pray, Lord. <laughs> when when you have a genuine heart of of love and forgiveness for the very persons that hurt you, that is when the Lord is going to restore you. Now, um I still have to put, you know, put a little asterisk right here, you know. Um Because, again, sometimes God is not going to restore us. Some things are just permanent, right? When when Jacob wrestled with the angel and he touched his hip, he limped for the rest of his life. And for some of us, that's going to be our testimony that, that we are going to have wounds in this life that will not be cured until eternity. But the point that God is trying to get us to see, whether he he blesses us and reverses our um, our losses now or in eternity, our responsibility is to love our enemies. It goes right back to chapter one when it says that that Job was a man who was blameless, upright, feared the Lord and shunned evil if we are the type of people who are blameless and upright, right, we're allowing God to develop his character in our lives. Even our enemies, we recognize we do not have a right to hold a grudge against them because Jesus on the cross and recognized it was, we put Jesus on the cross, you, 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 you and me. We put Jesus on the cross, and the first thing he said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. They don't understand the ramifications of what they're doing to you. It's not our job to step into the role of God and judge them. Because we have been forgiven, Paul says, it's our responsibility to forgive others because God in Christ forgave us. And if we ever hope for God to restore us, we must also learn how to restore and forgive others. Now, I want to end this because we don't often recognize that the way for God to uh, bring us to uh, what he has designed for us or what he wants for us, that it, it oftentimes has to go through trials and suffering, right? Uh, whenever God, um, I read this book a long time ago, and um, uh, the book was called The Making of a Prophet, and he, he, he starts to talk about uh, when God calls someone to a thing, he first starts by crushing that person, (laughs) right? Um, It Literally, you know, everything goes wrong. And he says the reason that God does that is because he's trying to teach us that he does not want us to do ministry. He wants us to be the ministry. And he crushes us when we first are called to something that he wants us to do because he wants to make sure that when... Things get tough, we don't run. I have several stories here that I want us to um, to listen to, b- very brief. Um, and then I want us to look at a s- couple, three passages of Scripture, and then I'm done. But oftentimes, when God allows us to suffer, it is because he is setting us up for something greater. Right, now we don't think that way, but oftentimes it is it's, it's true um and greater does not mean um a bigger house, a bigger car, more money, a better job okay right uh, that's what we 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 tend to think right greater is oftentimes being able to serve others who are going through the same thing. listen to uh uh just these brief stories um, quickly. This one says, Steve James was inspired by the generosity of his daughter, Brittany. In 1998, then 16-year-old Brittany chose to sponsor a Kenyan boy, Newton, through the Christian Children's Fund. She hoped one day to meet the young boy in person, but she never made it to Kenya. In 2001, Brittany was discovered dead in her apartment. She was only 19. To honor her memory, Steve, her father, went to Kenya to meet Newton six months later. He also gathered supplies and medical equipment to take on his trip. As a certified registered nurse anesthetist, Steve wanted to use his medical skills to help Kenyan patients. But he wasn't prepared for the scope of the suffering he encountered. When he returned to the U.S., he told everyone about the problem of unmet medical needs in Kenya. Steve and his wife, Greta, founded Kenya Relief, to help, there were times when we would pass out medicine from back um, from the back of a van. Remember, Steve, Wo- on one trip we saw 800 patients a day, a total of 2,400 people. Unfortunately, we were unable to fully care for them because of limited resources. A decade later, James and his team created Brittany's Home of Grace, a 60-acre orphanage outside of Magori, Kenya. Dozens of children were cared for there. Even adults received medical care. Kenya Relief kept expanding with, um, with separate dormitories for boys and girls, a library, a cafeteria, and more. Steve was also determined to build a school and a hospital. There's no better place to leave a legacy than Kenya, said Steve. It's a sure bet that his daughter would agree. Now, let's ask this question. If Steve's daughter did not die... Would have would Steve have gone to Kenya to honor her memory? Right. So so his suffering, his loss, paved the way for probably hundreds of people, hospitals, dormitory, medical services, all of these things they, that 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 they created through this nonprofit. But someone had to suffer and die in order for that to progress, right? Another story. This is uh, about Mark and Susan Crotty. In 2009, 19-year-old Zach Crotty died of an accidental drug overdose in his picture postcard hometown of Colden, New York. Afterward, his parents, Mark and Susan, Uh, Suzanne discovered his journals detailing his addiction to illegal drugs and prescription painkillers, as well as his regret that he wasn't living the kind of life he'd wanted. He'd been in and out of rehab and had seen a psychiatrist who prescribed more drugs for this already drug-addicted young man. Prophetically, Zach often wrote that he hoped his journals would save the lives of others, something he couldn't seem to do for himself. As a way to help other uh, individuals and families dealing with addiction, the Karate's decided to open up about Zach's life. It wasn't easy for them emotionally, but they published his writings on a blog and as a book. It won't bring Zach back, but, it, but I'll keep telling Zach's story so other people can share it, said Su- um, Suzanne Crottie. Even if we can just help one person, we've made a difference. But the Karate's did not stop there. Working with local politicians, they helped to get the I-STOP Act passed in New York. As of March 2015, all New York practitioners, except veterinarians, must issue all prescriptions in electronic format. New York practitioners are already required to consult an online registry of prescription histories for patients before prescribing certain controlled substances. The Karate's hope this law will reduce doctor shopping among addicts who often lie about their prescriptions to get more drugs. Now, this particular young man dies. His parents are concerned that even though he's using prescriptions, a doctor is prescribing him even more drugs, right? He ends up overdosing and losing his life. They work within their local uh, government to get a law passed that now... All practitioners have to go online to see who is prescribing what medications in order to decrease giving medications to people who may overdose. Someone had to suffer and die for other people to benefit, right? Last story. Marguerite Maggie Kitsi, um, her herring journey began in October of 1993. In her country of Burundi, tensions had heated to a boiling point between the two major ethnic groups, the Hutus and the Tutsis. Maggie, a Tutsi, went to the house of the Archbishop of R- how Ryuji for safety. She tried to protect her seven children as well as 72 Hutu friends and their children, but Tutsi rebels invaded the building. They tied her to a chair, then stripped her. They wouldn't kill her because she was a Tutsi, but they did murder the 72 Hutus in front of her and threw her best friend's head into her lap. Maggie paid a small ransom to save 25 of her friend's children. Her own seven children also survived. With no resources and so many children to care for, Maggie set about finding a solution. Soon, she had 200 children to feed, clothe, and house. She asked everyone for food and land. Eventually, she founded Maison Shalom, House of Peace in Ruyiji for both Hutu and Tutsi orphans. It grew from one home to a compound with over 3,000 homes, plus schools, farms, a hospital, and even a bank. In the last 20 years, Mason Shalom has provided a safe, loving home for over 20,000 children. Maggie wants the children to be educated so they'll have better lives, but she also works to successfully reintegrate them into the outside community. I know I can die in peace now, says Maggie, because my children will continue to pass on the message of peace and love wherever they go. Again, someone had to suffer and die so that other people could benefit. Now, isn't this the story (laughs) that we read repeatedly in Scripture? I want us to turn to... Three passages of, of Scripture, and then I'll close us out. I want us to first turn to Romans chapter 8. I'm not going to read a lot here because we read I read this for our Scripture this morning uh, so that it will be in your minds. <laughs> Listen to what Paul says here in Romans chapter 8. Verse 16, Romans 8, 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. What is the next phrase? If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. We are God's children. That means that we are heirs with Jesus, meaning that everything that belongs to Jesus belongs to us. But there's a requirement you have to suffer with Him if you want to be glorified with Him. Isn't that what He said to His disciples? On the day he was resurrected, he meets two of his disciples on the road. They're moping and crying and complaining because they said, We had hoped that Jesus was the Messiah. And what does Jesus say to them? He says, Are y'all slow? (laughs) Literally, he does say that. He does say that. He said, Are y'all slow to understand? I just, you know, I put it in Baltimore terms. Are y'all slow? (laughs) Wasn't the Messiah to suffer and then enter into his glory? If you want to possess all that Jesus has, you have to suffer with him so that you can then be glorified with him. He goes on to say, verse 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. If you take all of the pain and the suffering that you have experienced in this world, right, and and put it on a scale, right, this is the idea behind this word compare, you you put that on on a scale, and, and on the other side of the scale, you put the glory that you will receive when you see Jesus. And Paul says it will never balance out. That all of your pain, all of your suffering, all of your trials, all of the things that you have been through. It won't even t- balance the scale. When you receive the glory that God has for you. I want you to look over in Second Corinthians, two books to your right. Second Corinthians. Chapter one. Second Corinthians, chapter one. God oftentimes allows us to go through things, but whatever we go through, it won't even be compared. You won't even remember (laughs) all of the things that you suffered when you get to heaven. Well, let me not say that you'll remember. Right. Because you'll be the same person with the same memory. But it won't hurt. <laughs> right. It's not able to be compared with that. Could have went on uh, to chapter 28, how he he works all things for the good of those who um who love him. Right. Everything that we go through is not good, but he works all things for the good of those who love him. Verse tw- Romans eight twenty-eight. But look at Second Corinthians, chapter one. Verse three. Second Corinthians, chapter one, verse three. Blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulations that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. OK. Bless God. Because he comforts us when we are in trouble. Why does God comfort us when we go through trouble? So that we can, in turn, comfort people who are going through the same things. Why did God let me go through this? (laughs) I don't know. Maybe it's for the people who are watching you that can say, if, if if she went through that and she didn't fall apart, she trusted God, I can too. How many organizations have been started because someone was, was struggling with a drug addiction or alcoholism or something, and, and, and after they were delivered, they turned around and used their experience to help other people? God comforts you so that you can in turn be a comfort to someone else when they're going through the same thing. God ministers to you so that you can minister to someone else. Verse 5, for as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. Now, if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or if we are comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. And our hope for you is steadfast because we know that as you are partakers of the suffering, so also you will partake of the consolation, the comfort. If you have part- um, been a partaker of, of Jesus's suffering, you will also partake in his comfort. Verse eight. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure above strength, so that we despaired even of life. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Paul is saying that as they traveled to spread the gospel, their lives were in danger. I mean, if you you read, uh, as Paul talks about (laughs) his life, how he was often in danger in the sea, in danger uh, (laughs) um, um, on land. Right. He was beaten numerous times. Right. Ultimately, we know he ended up um, 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 being killed. But he was stoned. And he says that the sentence of death was on us. So that we could learn to trust in the God who raises the dead. Does't matter if I die. <laughs> I have a God who can raise the dead. Through all of these things, Paul says, God is trying to teach us to trust Him. And if we add to this to tr- um, what we saw in Job, to trust His wisdom. Why is it when we start, <laughs> the the very week we start the book of Job, we have one person gets sick and needs to have a pacemaker put in. We have someone who has a, a, a artery burst. We have someone who two people who find out they have cancer and need surgery and and then a whole bunch of other stuff going on around the church. Right. Why does God allow all of that to happen? Why, why didn't God just stop this? Why doesn't God heal me of, of this or that? Or Why does he allow these things to happen? We don't know. We may never know why God allows these things to, to happen or a million other things that happen around the world. We don't know. And it's not our job to know either. Our job is to recognize that we serve an all wise God. He knows exactly what's going on in this world. He knows exactly what's happening with every single one of us. He knows where we are and where we need to be. And he knows how to direct all of these events to get us exactly where we need to be. We need to learn how to trust Him, or as Paul says in First Timothy chapter one, verse seventeen. I'm turning. it. I could quote it actually, because this is a memori- memory verse I made Kaylin curse memorize last month. I should make them say it. <laughs> First Timothy one seventeen. Now to the King eternal, immortal invisible the what only wise God be honor and glory forever and ever now unto the king eternal immortal invisible the only wise God be honor and glory forever and ever that's what we have to that's what we that's what we hang everything on <laughs> that he is an all-wise God. He knows exactly where we are and why we're there. He has an all-wise plan that he is working out in your life. And he oftentimes uses means that we do not like. I wish he would stop. <laughs> right but he's working all of these things for our good. He's working all of your pain and all of your suffering for your good. And the first good is the same thing that Job experienced. He said, I heard about you with my ears, but now I see you with my eyes. He had a better perspective of who God is, and that's the greatest blessing. When you understand God, now we have been through um the books of james and john James and John James and job and as we've talked about um with several people who are presented here in class and presented uh in uh, in uh, in our group. It's easy for us to be um, hearers of the word only, <laughs> right, and and not doers. It's easy for us to um, quote passages, memorize passages, read books of the Bible, um, and then when we are tested, just completely fall apart, <laughs> right? But that's what the test is for. That's what the trials are for. That's what the sufferings are for. It is to show you where you are. God is a great teacher, and all great teachers know how to give good tests. Right? Because all students, "Ah, I don't need that. I don't need that. I I got this. I know this for sure. I know all of this. I'm like, okay, well, if you know it, pass the test. I'm like, oh, why get a 60. (laughs) I thought you knew it. I thought you knew it. It's not until you experience the test that you know exactly where you are. And God always tests his people. So that in James, we see that with Jesus, right? Jesus he goes and he's baptized. Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 4 starts off. Then Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Spirit to be tested by the devil. God said, this is my beloved son in whom I well please. Now you got to be tested. The nation of Israel, same thing. God brought them out of Egypt. He gave them all of these commands, but he tested them, Deuteronomy chapter 8. He led them through the wilderness. He fed them with manna. He made sure that their clothes grew with them, but he tested them to know what was in their hearts, whether they would obey him or not. test is not for God to know. He knows where we are. (laughs) The test is for us. He tested Abraham. Abraham, I know you love the son that, that you waited 25 years for. I need you to kill him. And we often describe, oh, it must have been agony for Abraham every step of the way he went. Oh, I don't want to do it. Doesn't say that in the text. It says Abraham woke up early in the morning, got all of his supplies, got all of his servants, went to Mount Moriah, got off his donkey and said to his servants, me and my son are going to worship. We will be right back. We will be right back. He knew he was going to kill his son, but he said, we will come back. Genesis 22. And he goes, his son is saying, Daddy, we have the wood, we have the knife, we have the fire, where's the sacrifice? <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Because he, he's starting to put two and two together like, wait, what? Like, we we missing something. <laughs> right? And Abraham says, God will provide for himself a sacrifice. Abraham gets there. He he builds the altar, ties his child to the altar, takes out the knife and is about to strike. And what does the angel of the Lord say? Abraham, do not lay a hand on this child because now I know you fear God. It was only a test, Abraham. Turn around and look. There's a ram stuck in the book bush. <laughs> it's only a test. Before God does anything with us, he always tests us to make sure that we are ready. It's up to us to pass the test or fail the test. But the sufferings that we go through, if we go back to James, if we allow them to do their work, they will cause us to be perfect, complete, and lacking nothing, right? Whatever you are suffering, whatever you are going through, wherever God has you, let it do its work. God has something better for you, and I say that in a non-prosperity gospel way. (laughs) He has something better for you, whether it's a ministry or whatever. He has something he wants you to learn from this process so that you can be of some service to him or others. Let him do his work work. Father, we thank you. We thank you for allowing us this time to come and to listen to your word. Lord, these have been uh, difficult messages to hear because oftentimes when we go to church, we hear messages about how Whatever you're going through, God is going to bless you and 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 everything's going to work out fine. And we shout, fall out on the floor and we go home and then we cry because in our hearts we know it's not true. But Lord, we thank you that as we have looked through James and Job, we don't see. You trying to psych us up to make ourselves um, emotional to get over something, you tell it like it is, that sometimes we're going to suffer, and it's not going to change until we change, until we get better, until we learn the lesson. It has nothing to do with our neighbor, our coworkers, or our spouse. It has everything to do with us and how we respond to our sufferings. Lord, we don't know why you allow us to go through the things that we go through. But yet we know that you will work all things for our good because we love you. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to let you and the trials that we go through do their work so that we can become perfect, complete, lacking nothing. We don't want to continue to be Uh, wishy-washy and wavering like a a wave of the sea tossing us back and forth. We want to be mature and strong and spiritual. We want to be a comfort to other people who are going through the same thing. And ultimately, we want to be glorified together with you. So help us to see our suffering and our trials as a good gift from a good God who is using it to take us where he wants us to be. I pray, Lord, that you would keep working in us all of the things that we have have heard for this last year as we've gone through the books of James and Job. I pray that you will help us not to be hearers of the word only, but to be doers of the word. Help us to walk it out even though it hurts. Help us to trust you even though we don't understand. Help us to keep walking by faith even when it does not make sense. Help us to trust your wisdom that you have a good plan in mind and that you are working all of these things out for our good and for your glory. Help us to be able to say with Paul, Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Amen.